everybody. This is Uncle Jeff with Uncle Chris, and we want to welcome you to the Blue Collar Commandos podcast. Uncle Chris, what's happening, man? Hey, Uncle Jeff. How you doing, man? Hope you're doing good. <laughs> well, I'm just watching the show, man. What are you up <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just waiting on your show to end so we can uh, get, this, get this podcast rolling. Well, you know, you, you can't interrupt my show, man. Uncle Chris and I wanted to do his podcast, and I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you tell from your side of the story? Well, we had planned to record this tonight, and I hit you up, and you're like, man, can we wait about an hour watching my show? And I'm thinking, that the heck kind of show are you watching, man? It's, <laughs> took me back to when my grandma used to watch The Guiding Light. <laughs> don't mess <laughs> Don't interrupt my show. Don't interrupt me watching my show. You're watching my show, man. Yeah. Man. Yep. Chris trying to interrupt the, the Amazing Race, who is not a sponsor of our podcast yet, but, but that's just a little show, man. That's our jam in our house, dude. So don't be hating on the Amazing Race. So, never. Never would do that. So As opposed to Amazing Grace, which is what you thought I said. So <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were turned over to the Hallmark Channel watching the... <laughs> Getting an early start on the holiday season, watching <laughs> Amazing Grace. <laughs> that would have been a, a that. I don't know if I'd have the opportunity to uh, live that one down on a hunting on a man's dudes hunting podcast show. <laughs> right now, for the record, I don't even watch Hallmark Channel, man. I know I know our wives dig that stuff, and I know our mother in law does. So, but, yeah, uh, not me, man. I don't have the softer side in me for that stuff quite yet. But I'm getting there. The older I get, so. So, hey, man, glad we had a chance to catch up. I'm looking forward to the, the episode tonight for our listening audience out there. We've got a good friend of ours, Dennis Boss, coming on who did an awesome do-it-yourself elk hunt and had some great success. He's going to come on and give us some tips to kind of continue our our DIY hunt chronicle here that we're on to try to gather as much knowledge as we can for the big the big hunt sometime in the next couple of years. And I know that... uh Dennis is going to give us some great tips, but Chris, speaking of Dennis, man, I don't know if you saw today, he killed a monster here I did. today. I did, man, and um, would love, ho hopefully he can come on uh, in, the, in the future and tell us about that, because man, what a nice deer. Um, yeah, now, he took, I didn't, he took I didn't, care of it. I didn't see where he killed that, because I know he has hunting land in some different states. Yeah, um, he was, I think, in his, in his home area down there, especially on Veterans Day, because it's really cool. He posted a great story this morning about his granddad and how he always thinks of his granddad on Veterans Day. And he was sitting there <clears throat> thinking about his granddad. And and, uh, and all of a sudden, 37 yards later, up popped a boogeyman. And he uh, he saw him. So he walked yeah, right into was, him. So it's a pretty cool story, man. Yeah, but, it was a great, great buck. <clears throat> but I tell speaking, you what, speaking of great, great bucks, Uncle Chris. I was getting ready to say, speaking of great bucks, uh the Blue Collar Commandos had their uh, second annual hunting trip together, and we, you were nice enough to invite me up to um, your hunting club up in Enfield. And, uh, probably the greatest day of hunting. It was the greatest day of hunting I'd seen. Um, saw a lot of deer activity on that Monday. But, man, tell everybody about your great day of hunting. Man, it was a, <clears throat> it was a tagged-out Monday. So, you know, it's just first off, as we've talked about, it's about the memories and the time and the fun we had. But we had a great time for a couple of days and at the Liberty Ranch at my hunt club down there in North Carolina. And and so Chris and I are set up in this hunter comfort blind, dropping another 
brand there that don't sponsor us yet, but maybe someday they will, Chris. And uh, all cushed up about 30 something degrees. And, and as we, we see this buck pop up and, and, uh, I, you know, it, it was a, it was a lot of fun. So this buck pops up at what, Chris, like 300 and some odd yards out there. And, yeah. And, yeah. and Chris has got the seven mil out there. He's got the long range cannon and I got more of the mid range cannon. I'm shooting a 20 gauge savage slug gun, a 220, which has about 225, 30 yards. And Chris's can go a long way. So Chris like, Hey man, it's on your side. You take a shot at that thing. So I pop up and shoot it. Miss. I kind of have a little issue with that right now. Just missing from long ranges. But anyway, um, shot and miss. And then I'm like, well, let me reload. (laughs) And it was like the Laurel and Hardy show after that, because I reloaded, shot him and he went down and then he got back up. We're out of ammo. We're in there fumbling around. Like we're in the heck. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're out of ammo. And Chris is like, man, I'm out of ammo. So we're running around the, you know, looking the, the thing as he's up walking around again. And, and then he goes, goes silent. And I'm like, well, I'll just grab my slug gun. Cause he, I don't know where he's going to be. And he just comes, comes up there. And it's like the good Lord planted him 205 yards, turned broadside and dirt napped him. Right dirt, there. I, the- yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you what'd you yeah. see from your perspective, Uncle Chris? Well, you know, the the first shot was an obvious miss and um so then he you know, I, I'm we were so far away, I just don't think he knew where it was coming from because he actually ran toward us a little bit. Um and then you know, there was another buck in the field with him and um small small buck, but he shot him again, and and um, as we found out later, I actually did hit him in the leg, and um, and then man, the craziest thing. I mean, he just he was in a soybean field and just started. He closed in what ninety five hundred hundred to ninety ninety five yards, and like you said, man, just stood broadside, and the old savage took care of business, buddy, because. Uh, it was like somebody chopped his legs off. He hit. He just went straight to the ground. Chin slapped. Yeah, yeah he, he, absolutely. And interestingly and, uh, enough, remember, I don't know if you remember, but that other little buck was like, "Hey, what happened? Where'd everybody go?" You know, he was yeah, standing just, right beside him. Yeah, for a long time. And um, but the night before, day. yeah, the night before that, uh, I had just driven up there that afternoon and got there kind of late, and you were already hunting and that's the stand you told me to go to. And, um, so I saw a really something cool, man, that I just don't get to see that often. But, uh, on the other side of that field, saw a nice six point come out, make a scrape, um, wasn't big enough to shoot, but I knew that area was, you know, uh, I knew there were bucks in that area and, man, so glad that one came out on you. Uh, but that was just the start of the day, man. Yeah, well, you remember that buck did a scrape right before we shot him. That's exactly remember? right. Yeah, yep, he did it. And the first time I'd ever seen a real live scrape going on in the in its natural habitat. But yeah, and then so we got him his little nine point, not a little nine point, a nice nine point. Um, and uh, drug him out and realized how out of shape we were, and uh, had a good time doing that. To hauled him off to the processor, and uh, and then we set up for the afternoon hunt. Uh, Chris and so I put Uncle Chris in this really nice stand over overlooking some turned over peanuts and with high hopes had some good activity on some trail cams around there and then I go to this other box stand 
on a soybean field, kind of on the opposite side of the farm from the morning hunt. And, and I got to admit, man, I was checking the back of my eyelids, uh, for cracks about 345. And I got these walkers electronic ear things in that you can like Bluetooth to your phone and they deaden the shot and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there. I'm actually, I'm sitting there, but I'm snoozing like crazy. And the wall and these earbuds all of a sudden go walkers battery dying and wakes me up and I jump. I'm like, what the heck, man, what's going on with that? And I'm like, I'm literally, I'm confused. I'm sorry. So I look around and I look to my left and dang, if there ain't two bucks and a doe standing out in the middle of the bean field, about 145 yards from me. And one's a big monster six and then a, a, a smaller six and this doe. And so I'm like, all right, cool. So I put a scope and, uh, and dirt nap him from 145. He didn't even move. He hit and went straight down and the old 220 did it to him again. And the, uh, the smaller buck ran out and then the doe just, she just, she's more interested in food than, you know, than anything else. So, um, she's standing there and she's standing there and she's standing there just eating and eating and eating. I'm like, well, if you turn sideways, I'm going to shoot you too. And what do you know? She turned sideways and I shot her too. So, um, but in North Carolina, it was, uh, you can only t uh, kill two bucks and four does. And so I tagged out my bucks all in one day. Never had a day like that before. Probably, maybe probably never will have a day like that again. I, I would like to, but, um, but then, you know, I'm getting down from the stand and I'm texting Chris and this, that, and the other, and I'm making all this noise and coming around and darn it. There's another six points standing out in the middle of the field, just looking at me. And I texted Chris, Chris a picture of this thing. So it was just a, I, I tell you, we've hunted a lot and a lot of people in our podcast have hunted a lot, I'm sure, but I've never hunted over a, 48 hour period chris where i've seen more bucks than does yeah um you know we've all heard or i've heard and i'm sure a lot of our <clears> listeners <throat> have heard of uh you know the magic of november and um you know i've just never experienced um such a such a much activity as i saw um that that 48 hour period like you said well man we were just seeing deer after deer after deer especially that one day man i mean we were just riding around seeing bucks running and and it was a yeah. man it was a great day it was a great day but definitely not to be outdone from the liberty ranch experience uncle chris knocked down a monster a couple days later man fill us in yeah so um the the guy that i hunt with you know we've um so since we have about 700 acres and there's really no dog hunting around there, no pressure, um, we've kind of agreed that we just want to let these smaller bucks walk. And so last year I saw this really cool um, little eight-pointer. Obviously he was too um, – he just was not big enough. I don't really know the age. We figured he was about three, three and a half last year. Um, and – I saw that buck probably 20 times last year. Um, but just, we, we all just let him walk. And so I was hunting, uh, this past Saturday and it was warm, man. It was really warm weather. And, and, um, so I'm sitting in the stand and, um, the guy that I hunt with was actually hunting on a, in a stand, um, kind of close to me, but looking in another block of woods and, Early that morning, I hear him, and he shoots, and he he shoots a, a nice eight pointer, and uh, and so we're sitting there, sitting there, and I guess you know by this time it's like eight thirty, and he's kind of antsy, and he wants to go get the side by side and go get his buck, and 
I'd seen some really small deer that morning, small bucks. And, um, so, uh, I hear him on his, on his side by side and, um, man, I just, I'm actually just on my phone, um, just looking at something and I look up and man, there's that buck. Uh, this year he had, he went from an eight point to a 10 point and, uh, real just palmated out. Uh, I mean, as a guy that I know said, he looked like he had two boat paddles on his head, uh, man, just really just, <laughs> um, nice 10 point. And, and you know, the thing that I, well, he had a nice, certainly, um, nice rack, but I'd never seen a buck or a deer period with a totally black face. And, mm. um, so it was just cool, man. I mean, he, he had that, obviously he had that last year, but, and, and what it, what it showed, showed me and the guy that I hunt with is, um, if, if you can discipline yourself to let those smaller bucks walk, man, and obviously that taught me a lot, you know, that taught me that, that bucks will stay in the area. Uh, and if you just let those little bucks walk, uh, man, in a few years, you're going to have nice bucks, you know, and, yes, uh, sir. so that yes, was sir. cool that, that I really had spent because we spent a lot of time and uh, money feeding that deer last year, but man, it paid off. We, you know, we both felt like we gave him a good habitat <laughs> to to grow in and be safe, and um, so really, man, I I I was totally excited about that, and um, yeah, so man. yeah, I was, I was excited for you. It's a beautiful deer. You can check it out on our our blue collar commandos. Uh, Instagram yeah, page, Twitter page, killed it, man. Funny, it's a great shot. Good job. The funniest thing about shooting that deer is uh, those old bucks are older bucks. They're smart. So from where I'm sitting, he would just stick his head out and eat some corn and then draw his head back in. And he would hmm. just stick he would just stick his head out, get some corn, and then draw his head back in. And um, so I was, and then he kind of got spooked and he ran off. And then he ran back and I said, man, if he, if he pokes that neck out there again, I'm going to pop him. So, um, he pop, he stuck it out there and I popped him in that old neck bone and, uh, it, <laughs> it, it was, the it was on him. yeah, it was lights out, man. And, uh, so, um, yeah. so yeah, it was good. And that's what man. I prefer, man. I mean, that's what, you know, we, as hunters, we definitely don't want to injure an animal. The, Quick and painless, man, is the fastest right. way to go in that. And so we, we did that with all three of them. So you know, I think you're going to mount that one too, right? Yeah. I, you know, just because of the uh, palmations on his horns and just really, man, just the, the, the black face that he has. I've just never seen a deer with that black of a face. And uh, so he has a mule deer you got out there. He he actually looks a lot like a mule deer in the face, and um, and so yeah, it, it'll be a while, but I I've got him at the ta taxidermist now. Very good. Now, Chris, for our listening audience, why don't you explain what palmated means? Yeah, so it's uh, instead of it's just real wide. Uh, so if you look at your hand and the width of the horn was the tines weren't all that long, but just the the horn itself coming up was real wide. Um, and in fact, it was about, yeah, it was about 
Well, I had a guy that, um, a hunt master from another club, he actually measured it for me. And um, just the circumference around where the, at his widest point was like eight inches. Wow. Uh, it's so, a yeah, big, it, big mass rack there. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was cool, man. That's great. Well, congratulations. Now you got one more tag left. I'm just uh I'm just a doe hunter looking for does now. So that's all I am down in North Carolina. But you got one more. Yep, got so. one more. Kinda got one on my hit list that I'm looking for. Um so we'll see, man. We'll see. Cool. Cool. That sounds good. Well speaking of, you know, big racks and stuff, I, I know our guest tonight, Dennis, he and we recorded his segment a couple a week or so ago due to due to some getting our schedules all um a line and stuff and and he's got a, a great segment chris where he tells us a lot about the diy hunt and learning a lot in that space and but an amazing an amazing bull elk and and uh, you'll see the picture of that on our website as well that he had and, and chris i'm excited to learn from him so what do you say we take a quick break and we come right back with our good friend dennis bost absolutely all right we'll be right back thanks Hey, everybody, we're back, and we're excited to have our special guest, second-time, two-time guest. Uh, I think that kind of makes you an official member of the Blue Collar Commandos there, Dennis. <laughs> but but if it, if, happy to hear today from our good friend and listening audience, Dennis Bost, who's here to talk a lot about his DIY elk hunt. And, uh, and I know I can speak for Chris, man. We are super excited to hear what you've got to say. And I was actually telling somebody about the podcast last night, and uh, – and kind of the strategy, they were like, well, so what are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? I'm like, well, the crazy thing is, is we're doing it to educate our listener audience, but really is to educate Chris and I, because we need a lot of help in a lot of ways, but kind of document that stuff. And, and Dennis, your hunt that we're going to hear about today is, uh, is, as we mentioned before, the top of our bucket list, man. So how, how you been doing? What's been going on? I'm great, man. We, uh, we just wrapped up my son's flag football season last night. I had to hightail it out of Kansas. I was doing a little bow hunting up there and had to break and get back here for for him for that. I helped coach one of his teams, and so had a good hunt up there in Kansas and got back, and season didn't finish like we wanted it to in football, but we still had a blast with those kids, and and hopefully they got a little better this season. Well, that's good, boy. If not, it's blaming on the coaching. There so. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. So tell us about Kansas. I know you and I talked a little bit offline about the Kansas property. Tell a little bit about what you got up there and what you're doing and how your season went. Yep, this was my eighth year hunting at a at a lease that we got up in Kansas. I got a couple friends up there that are from the area, and and uh, we kind of started a little club up there, and it's just a bunch of friends, and we like to hunt whitetails, and and uh, got a few different properties, mainly on watersheds in South Central Kansas, and try to grow a couple nice bucks, and it's and it's a lot of fun because you get to see really good bucks. Um, everybody thinks in Kansas every deer that's over five years old is going to get to 180 inches. That's not always the case for sure. Those are still very rare bucks, but you do get the opportunity to see a lot of, you know, 130, 140 range whitetails where in Arkansas, those are as rare as the 180s in Kansas are. So it's a lot of fun to get up there and do that. Wow. Did you have some success this year? I had a lot of success as far as enjoying myself and being out there. We had some crazy weather. Uh, one morning it was 37 mile an hour winds and uh, wind chill was 19 and it was sleeting. But uh, mm. luckily, I had the right gear to be sitting in a tree, made it till almost 11 o'clock, saw, I think, 18 deer that day, nine of which were bucks, um, but nothing over four and a half years old. So they got, they got to go another year. 
and they get to live another year. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip. Got a good, good trip. And so, uh, you know, you talk about a 180 class deer, that would be like a unicorn in Virginia, North Carolina. Ain't that right, Chris? Yeah, they're few and far between. For sure. Yeah, they're not in sure. Arkansas either, for sure. So <laughs> now do you you have land in Arkansas you hunt too, or you just hunt Kansas? Yes, and we other do. Things? So we actually have one of the best bucks that I've had on camera and open uh morning of muzzle loading season was two weekends ago. And I took Asher out there for that. And unfortunately we went to the wrong stand that morning and he was standing in front of the stand at eight oh two. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's crazy. Did he end up getting anything or see anything anyway? We saw some younger bucks, but we did not see the one that he was after. So, I got you. Well, you did have some success earlier this year, man, and and that's what we want to hear about. So, you know, you had great success, and the pictures posted on our Instagram page and uh, showing the the nice elk you you got on the DIY hunt. So, Dennis, I, I know Chris and I we got a hundred thousand questions for you, but we want to turn it over to you to kind of tell us a little bit about about your hunt, and then we definitely want to get into some of the specifics about how you prep and what you think about and any advice you give us man so walk us through that hunt okay so you want details on the hunt or how it got set up or all the above man wherever you want to start you're driving this train man so i got you well so this is the fourth year that i've gone out there on a uh, do-it-yourself in southwest colorado and i was fortunate to have some buddies that have been on a couple of outfitted hunts and um we started talking about doing the do-it-yourself stuff and so they had a little bit of experience doing that First year we went out there, um, I was fortunate enough. I, I got an arrow and an elk, um, but I didn't have the right arrow set up. I didn't understand some of the things that I know today that I would do different. And even though I hit him where I was trying to hit him um, and actually got two arrows in him before he got out of there, we actually never recovered him. And still to this day, it haunts me and I can picture where the arrow was and all that kind of stuff. It can't figure out what happened. So after that experience, um, I definitely came back and educated myself substantially more on what to do. Because by the time you you pack all your gear, you do all your lists, if you get out there and you don't have the right arrow set up, then it's all for naught. So after that season, I really educated myself. The second year we went out there, um, did not get in elk bugling, um, did not have much success. Year three went out there and was uh, able to harvest a, a 309 inch Pope and young do it yourself bull, which was pretty amazing. And, um, I'm sorry, that was the second year I got the 309. The, the third year I drew a mule deer tag, the elk weren't bugling and was able to shoot a full velvet 154 inch mule deer. Wow. And then this, this past season worked out pretty well too. We were in elk bugling. It was, it's, it's funny. A lot of people talk about, when you go hunt DIY, you want to go as high as you possibly can and as far as you possibly can and all that kind of stuff, right? But if, and I kind of hate to even tell everybody this, but if everybody's going to the same place, where are the elk probably? <laughs> not there. Right, right. Not there, right? So we can take a little bit of different strategy on where we hunt and everything and try to do what everybody else is not doing. So gotcha. we got in an area this year that had some elk in it we had some good experiences um the first four days we were in elk two of the four but just couldn't get the bulls to work they weren't rutting super hard yet second to the last day a herd was coming through 
we were talking back and forth to the herd bull. He crested a ridge. I mean, it looked like a movie. He was standing up there. You could see the smoke coming out of his mouth. This was when all that snow hit Colorado. So we were out there the second week of bow season. And so it was pretty cold that morning. It had been snowing all night and it was sleeting that morning. And he was skylined, you know, nice six by six, 300 inch bull, smoke coming out of his mouth, bugling. It was beautiful. But I couldn't break him back off the herd because he had a whole bunch of cows with him. And while I was sitting there cow calling to him, the bull that I ended up harvesting came in on a rope and came across my the front of me and went to my buddy. And so I'm sitting there ranging it for my buddy. And he couldn't get a shot the way he was walking. And he turned and walked back in front of me. And I ranged him at 47 yards. And I asked Brad, I said, you got a shot? And he was like, no, nah, I'll take him. So I let it rip. And it was pretty fun. So 47 yards, hit him exactly where you want to hit him. He coughed six times, went 64 yards, and saw him drop. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so that was a fun experience. That's great. Now, you now I would, we'll definitely hear more about the hunt and all that stuff. But you got to make me go down a side road here because the last two or three episodes – I've been kicking around and getting all OCD and geeked out now on this heavy arrow stuff. So mm-hmm. when you talk about archery tackle, did did your arrow setup have anything to do with it? Did you shoot heavy or, or what did you do differently there? Broadhead was the main thing. So I, I, I was already shooting heavier arrows. I'm a big believer in heavier arrows, even at whitetails. Um, it, it, my thought is if I can pin it in the back shoulder and blow through that in a whitetail. So in Arkansas, if you shoot one and you can you can – shoot a heavy setup and blow through shoulders. If you blow through shoulders of a whitetail, they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? That's It's, it's going to leave a heck of a blood trail. They're going to be fairly easy to, to find. Um, but I always shoot expandable broadheads in Arkansas when I was younger. Now, when I was way younger, we shot fixed. But I had gotten in a habit of shooting, and I hate to say the name of the broadhead, but I was shooting an expandable broadhead that works great on whitetails not so much on a heavy skinned elk. And the only thing that I can think is it hit it centered a rib bone and must have ran inside the rib cage because I, I found the arrow had about 18 inches of penetration on that arrow. But the bad thing about a expandable broadhead is when it pulls out, it folds back down. Whereas a fixed, as it works its way out, it's cutting on its way back out too. And so I, I switched over to slick tricks. And since I started shooting slick tricks i've killed two bulls with them um two do-it-yourself bulls a do-it-yourself mule deer and three mature kansas whitetails wow now what how many grains are your ears on average you're shooting with that my setup is is like 442 okay so it's not a whole lot heavier than what the minimum a lot of people say shoot a everybody says 420 minimum right so it's not a whole lot more than that minimum but it's still plenty heavy enough Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, now, because I've been watching some of the ranch ferry and, and, and getting my arrow set up, going heavy, and I actually ordered all the stuff and, and uh, getting ready to put those things together this next week, hopefully, and start shooting heavy myself. And as you said, it's, you know, Todd Steen was on on our last two podcasts ago, and he asked me a question what the difference between horsepower and, and torque was. And, uh, and he said with a heavy versus light arrow, horsepower is how fast you get to the wall, torque is how far through the wall you go. Right. And so, so really that heavier air gets it through. And, and I think he said, or somebody said, you know, two holes in an animal is always better than one um, no that aren't supposed to be there. So, uh, well, cool. Well, I'm sorry. Appreciate the detour well, on just that. Just out of curiosity, what was, uh, what was the grain he was shooting? 
Well, it just depends, you know, when, when it depends on who you ask. So the ranch fairy guy, he's the guy that seems to be the YouTube expert and I've kind of bought into it all. He's talking anywhere from 550 to 650, uh, minimum 550 is what, what, uh, he recommends people shooting. But, but the bottom line is it's really about the FOC and what that front of center percentage is and, um, and anything in that 11 to 15% FOC, which is on my, on my setup, what I've tuned it in, it's a 550 setup. So it'll be um, uh, a 300 spine era with, you know, 25 to 40 grains with the fins in the back, fletches in the back, and then a 100 grain insert and then a 100, 125 or 200 grain broadhead on the front. So um, that's kind of the setup I'll be going with and practicing with and trying out. So, so that should in, do in a number scenario, on it. Yeah, right. On that scenario, you're shooting extremely short range too, though, right? Yeah, 40 what? yards and under. 40 okay. and under. Yeah. Yeah. See, so like the mule deer that I shot, like I would prefer 40 yard and under all day, but he was 63 yards. So, you know, when you start stretching out, what, what you're going to see is 40 yards is awfully dang close to an elk. Um, the one I killed this year was 47. The, the one, the two years ago, the elk was 53. So, you know, it's there, there's a trade off there for sure. I, if I was shooting at a moose, I might want to be at the five, 600, but man, I have not had any issues with penetration on the 440. Very good. Good to know. Because it just goes to the point. You got to tune your bow and tune your arrows for what you're going hunting for. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, well, And then you got to cool. know what your distances are. So, you know, I got an 80 pin. I would not shoot at a live animal at 80. But, you know, it's it's kind of like ice cream. Everybody likes a different one. And, and that doesn't mean that one's better than the other. Oh, no, I totally agree. It's like guns I sell. I've got Glock people who don't like Chevy people, you know, Ford, Chevy, Toyota. It's the same with guns. And it's probably the same with airs and air opinions, too. So, no doubt. Um, all that good stuff. So, keep on going, man. So, you, you got this thing and, and talk about how big it was and, and, and how it went. Well, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a giant bull by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, when you're on uh, the second to the last hunt, <laughs> any bull will do. But we had seen a couple other good ones. Um, my buddy that was with me, he ended up getting an opportunity at one bull, but for, for both of us to even get an opportunity, I think we were more than fortunate, uh, for that. So it's anytime you can go out there at, at that point in time, as soon as the fourth day was over, I was fine. Even if I took a cow, you know, um, the meat is so good and, and my family enjoys it so much. I would have been perfectly fine with doing that also. Yeah. The, the uh, and I guess once you shoot it, that's, that's really the fun part because the hard part is after that, right? Yeah, you got it. I mean, it's, you, you're so tired after the, you know, the adrenaline rush and all that kind of stuff. This year, we didn't have to go very far with it. The, uh, two years ago, we had to go pretty far with it. And, you know, you, you might start having an out-of-body experience um, part of the <laughs> way through the, <laughs> right. the getting it out of there. I mean, just cutting it up takes a pretty good while in and of itself. And um, that's where if, if somebody hasn't ever cut up an animal in the field, I would recommend the next whitetail that you kill, quarter it in the field for a little bit of practice. Because if you've never done that before uh, and you try to get out there on a mountain and start dealing with a, you know, a dang near thousand pound creature and quartering him up, um, it's not going to be easy. You need to know where the points are, where you can cut through and where you can't and, and how to take him apart. So I highly recommend practicing on whitetails. Yeah, and that's a great time. That's about that time is when you think or when you wish or might wish you were doing a guided hunt. 
Right. No <laughs> doubt about it. That's what this year, the, the friend that went with me this year had not been on a do-it-yourself hunt. He had only been on a guided, and he was like, man, sure was nice when they pulled up and put it in the back of a truck. Said, <laughs> yeah. so what time's breakfast? <laughs> right. No doubt about it. <laughs> That's great. Well, Chris, you got any questions, man? I got a bunch. Yeah, well, yeah, I do. Um, and because you know, Dennis, that Jeff and I are, you know, we're um, obviously never done this before. And we're just trying to uh, not only enjoy this experience with you, but, you know, get some information. And so um, kind of what we've learned so far is, and you've answered a couple of those questions. Um, don't just, if you're a newbie, don't just go out there on your own. It, it's better to go with somebody who's been. Is that your experience? There's, I mean, I wouldn't have been ready to go completely by myself. I wouldn't know where to start. You can, you can go look at maps and you can research and you can read statistics and you can see what the rankings of what zone is the best and our units the best in Colorado. But some of that's misleading too. Um, you don't know where the access points if you're not real familiar with the area. So going with someone that's been out there before, I would highly recommend. You know, are you thinking it's like go out there with four, five, six guys? You know, you, you know our buddy Jared Pyatt who was on last week, and yeah, you, you talked about that snowstorm. It got me wondering if you guys were there at the same time in the same snowstorm, but because um, y'all both had kills and you're uh, around the same time of the year. But anyway, uh, he was saying he goes, you know, with two truckloads of guys and they all got this thing down to a science and all that good stuff. I was thinking if you kill a thousand pound animal, just me and you out in the woods, that that kill us getting that thing back. So you got to have more than two people, I'm guessing. No, that's, I mean, we had two this year. And then when we had the longer get out, uh, two years ago, there was three of us. Wow. But, um, yeah, it's, it, there's different ways to do it. I got friends that go out there and they'll have tents set up and they'll take horses way in. And then there's guys that'll just use a base camp and hike way in. Um, we, we rent Airbnb cabins and don't go quite as far as everybody because it seems like everybody nowadays wants to go 10,000 and above to say they did. So I'll go up there, let them run them off the mountain and shoot them lower. Well, you made a good point there. So talk about that. So when you're going to do your prep, now let's just, let's just go into the DIY how to's. So you're, give us a little timeline. It's a month out. What are you doing? What are you looking at? How are you prepping for it? Then throughout the journey, how are you packing? What are you, you just the logistics of it all. How does it right. all work? This year was a little bit different because I got ran over by a bull four weeks before the trip and he broke three ribs. So that was, uh, that made it difficult prepping for the trip. I didn't even get my bow back. Luckily Yikes. I shoot all year long because I couldn't even pull my bow back till a few days before we actually got out there. But traditionally speaking, you're, you're getting all your gear ready. You're making your lists. Um, you're marking off your check marks. You're, you're decenting all your stuff. You're making sure that you plan for what they say on weather.com and what, could possibly happen and if if we wouldn't have prepped for the worst this year it was supposed to have been highs in the 60s the whole week we were out there and it dropped down in the high 20s um for a high with snow and sleet and all that kind of stuff and if we wouldn't have had the correct gear in reserve it we probably wouldn't have been able to hunt some of it so making your list doing all your prep looking back over all your maps whether you use onyx or use hunt stand or whatever the app you use Going back over and, and, oh, yeah, I remember being in this area and this is where we saw, you know, elk bedding previously. And I'm going to make sure day one we go out here and we glass this area, see where they're moving 
and do all that. Um, you can look at maps all day until you get out there and put your feet on the ground. It's hard to really tell. A place that looks really open on an aerial photograph, when you get there in person, might be really thick. On aerial photographs, oak brush basically doesn't show up. So it might look like an open area. And then you get out there and it's got six foot tall oak brush. So you can do some prep off of maps. But the first couple days, I would, re I would recommend getting to vantage points, glassing, see if you can see things going, and then use your prior year data of, you know, where you've seen things in the past and then slip through the woods looking for sign. A lot of people, and it works for some people, but they'll get out there and they'll just blow through as much territory as possible trying to find, uh, you know, elk. They're pretty quiet animals. I mean, they can slip through the woods pretty pretty quietly you'd be surprised there was a couple times we were sliding through the woods and all of a sudden we just start looking around and we're in the middle of elk and you know half of them are bedding half are feeding and if you catch them in that stance if we would have been moving quick we'd have blown them right out so moving through real slow glassing listening is what i found to be the most effective way does that mean that it's the right way no it's just the way that we like to do it well you got something nice on your wall or will right so i think you know it works out yeah. I mean, so then what about like, I'm thinking we've had other, like when Jared was on last week, maybe y'all hunted in different locations because his deal was like, yeah, we all roll up to Walmart and we, we get our uh, tag over the counter and all that good stuff. But you mentioned you drew a tag. So are you hunting a different unit or one that has more of a lottery system? Yeah. Well, so a lot of, there's very few over the counter tags left in Colorado. Most of them have gone to bow season that it's uh draw. Now, this was the first year that that's happened in the past. You could go over the counter, but this was the first year of the draw system. Now, everybody who put in got drawn. I think they were just trying to regulate it and see how many people were doing it. But uh, the unit that we go to was draw this year. And then mule deer is, of course, draw. Gotcha. Gotcha. And he mentioned he was going through the, through, it was muzzleloader and archery season. So that, that might have had something to do with it. Yep. So we were there um, the week before him. Okay. I got you. But I'm not sure where he was at, but, you know, we were southwest Colorado. All right. So then you got two guys like us. We're sitting around, or me and Chris, and you were sitting around a coffee coffee bar somewhere, and and uh, you want to impart, you know, some DIY knowledge. Like, the hey, man, you guys got to at least do, do these two or three or four things. What would you recommend? N number one, I mean, first and foremost, if if you're not really confident with your bow and you don't know – shot placement and you don't know exactly what your setup is going to do you're wasting your time because you can you can be in the best shape you can have all the right equipment and you can do all that kind of stuff but if you don't know how to use your bow if you're going out there bow hunting then it's all for naught and so you know somebody going out there and and that hasn't got a couple of of you know live kills under their belt harvest some whitetails take out some does do some things like that to where you can get used to it and then practice in all kinds of crazy positions. So this year I was on my knees ranging for my buddy to be able to shoot the elk. Well, what ended up happening? He came across me. I'm sitting there having to shoot at an awkward position off my knees, kind of turned to the side. And if you don't practice for all those kinds of positions, then it's going to be really tough because elk hunting, you know, it's, they, they can appear. You'd think that they would be really loud, and sometimes they are. I mean, if they're running, it sounds like, you know, a movie where the, the buffalo are, are running across the screen, you know. But <laughs> right. if they're just sliding through the woods or if they're half-bedded, half-feeding, they're really quiet. And so being able to make sure that you can shoot from a lot of different kinds of areas, I think, is number one. 
and then being able to control your emotions. I've been out there before with friends who are great target shooters, and it, it was it was tough when the time came because if you can't control your you know your emotions and your heart rate and all that kind of stuff when the opportunity presents itself, um, it makes it tough. If you don't know if you got to think about line up my circles, make sure I hit my anchor points. If you're thinking about all that, it's it's you're probably going to miss. Gotcha. That makes sense. You, the little details you got to have. It's just it's just muscle memory. You got to have the muscle memory and the training, so when it happens, you you can capitalize on it. Yeah. So that that would be number one. Number two is overpack. So make sure that you got plenty of gear for any kind of scenario that you're getting yourself into. You don't have to have the most expensive gear, but you need a nice pair of boots and a nice pack. Um, make sure you take plenty of water because out there. You know, coming from Arkansas, it's humid and, and, you know, you sweat out there. You might sweat where your pack touches your back. But other than that, you don't feel yourself sweating and you can get dehydrated pretty quick. So making sure that you carry plenty of water and then force yourself, even when you don't feel like you're thirsty, to get drinks. Because I've, I've been out there personally before when you start, you know, your head starts hurting and all that kind of stuff. And I've had friends also have the same issue. So you know, make sure you know your bow and then make sure you got your gear and water is probably the third most. Yeah. Chris, Chris, you had that kind of happen out there when you were hunting with the, with the water and the altitude and all that stuff, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just hiking, but yeah, we weren't hunting, but yeah, I got up, we went to 12,000 feet and I just, you know, just had a what altitude sickness, which wasn't bad, but I was telling Jeff, I was like, I couldn't imagine because we were just hiking. I said, I couldn't imagine, you know, staying up there for extended period of time. I mean, I, as soon as I dropped that back down below 10,000 feet, I felt fine, but it was tough. I mean, it was really tough. So, um, it looks and like, I'll be step- honest with you. I'm not hunting that high. Yeah. Cause, uh, Jared was saying that, uh, Jeff, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember they hunted what eleven five to twelve thousand all day long. Is that what he said? Yeah, something like that, something like that. But I like your your philosophy, Dennis. Yeah, I was gonna say, Dennis, I'm uh, I'm down with the way y'all. <laughs> I'm really down with the way <laughs> here's, y'all. Here's hunt, my man. thing. So I, I had a friend of mine who him and his buddy have been putting in for high elevation mule deer tag. So we're we're hunting northwest of Durango. Okay, so. A high elevation mule deer tag has to be above the tree line. So you're talking high. And what he said was, especially this year with Corona going on, he was shocked at how many people were up there hiking at 12,000 feet. And there's, you know, the, the, the higher up you get, the less cover there is. And if nowadays you got everybody wanting to post pictures on the internet of them, hey, we went on a hike at 12,000. You know, we went on a hike at 13,000. And all those people hiking all year long, you know, in my opinion, I think it's pushed some of those up down a little bit. And I think the migration starts a little bit sooner than what it used to. At least that's what my friends that live out there are telling me. So probably shouldn't be telling everybody that, but we're hunting <laughs> eight to 10, you know, at the, at the very highest, really, we don't even get all the way to 10. So. Yeah, that, that's the oh. kind of hunt I want to, but I, I took step number one, uh, I've written it down, uh, buy a bow and start practicing. There you go, Uncle Chris. Join the Bow Nation, baby. <laughs> yeah, if 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 this podcast has done nothing else, uh, it has kind of, you know, I've never bow hunted. I, I went on a hunt. Jeff and I actually went on a hunt um, 
and it was bow hunt only so i went got a crossbow but i've never bow hunted so this is talking me into slowly i'm i'm getting on the bow train yeah bow hunting it's addicting i'm not one of those guys that's a bow snob if somebody wants to hunt with a rifle you know a crossbow and you're young i might pick at you a little bit but you know whatever somebody wants to hunt with that's more power to them we need more folks hunting and wanting to be out there um so i'm i'm not a bow snob by any stretch of the imagination but but it is my my weapon of choice yeah and christy there's just nothing like drawing back and just seeing and feeling the release of your uh your arrow going downrange, man i mean it's just i think it's the best of all the sensory shooting you do man i think archery's awesome and so i know when you shoot one chris you will be uh you'll be all in you'll be on team archery yeah and i need to retract that statement i did bow hunt uh i went with a friend of mine and we got down there a couple of days early and uh he was like man it's bow season my father-in-law has a bow just use that well dennis i'm i'm five foot four inches tall right so right. I, i'm built low to the ground his father-in-law is like six one so i didn't know anything about a bow so i just grabbed a bow went out there deer walks out man i pulled back kept pulling back kept pulling i was like man i thought this thing was supposed to get easier you know <laughs> and uh wound up hitting the deer but i hit it in the leg and wounded it and i was like man i'm not doing that no more i'm not gonna go out here so that was my only experience bow hunting so um i, I probably need to need to get into it a little bit uh, but around here it's just you know it's not a the there are very very few bow hunters in our area very few um, most really? guys really? oh yeah it's very few i mean um guys may have bows just to go out and just so they can get out there a couple of weeks ahead of everybody else but like the the circle of friends that i have that that hunt even that bow hunt they've never taken an animal with a with a bow um and everybody just waits for gun season because really? we have a really so, yeah we have a really long gun season Right. And, you know, Kansas is a week. So if, if you if you try to hunt with a gun up there, it's in the middle of the winter and it's a week long. In Arkansas, I like to duck hunt. And so bow hunting works great because I can be done with my deer hunting by the time the other seasons roll around. But yeah. are you familiar now, now with Fred Bear? You... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the godfather of bow hunting. So what he, he says you can learn more about deer hunting with a bow in a week than you can with a gun in a lifetime. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, to be honest with you. You, you just, you're so much more patient. You're watching the behavior of deer at a hundred yards, knowing that you can't shoot them yet. And so you're paying a whole lot more attention to what's going on in the woods than there's a deer boom. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now this, you know, I'm thinking about the, the bow hunting aspect of it. And, and you're talking about a week in Kansas where you can gun hunt. So what's the bow hunting like in Arkansas? Is your season mostly bow? Do you get a little bit of everything down there? Our bow season is extremely long. It's, it's from mid September all the way to the end of February. Wow. That's great. I mean, here it's, so you get in, in North Carolina, you start 
um, what is it, early September and it goes to the first week of January. But then the guns, the multiple guns come in throughout that, that space. But because um, rifle opened up in October. So, yeah, our rifle January season that. opens up mid-November. Um, and then, I, to be honest, I think it closes around Christmas and then there's like a couple-day Christmas hunt. Awesome. I hadn't awesome. really well, now, gun hunted in a while until my son got into it. Gotcha. Now, will you, but, but will you go back out to your Kansas lease anymore? Or are you, you done hunting out well, outside Arkansas <laughs> right now? Or, Cause you got that land up there, man. You're paying good money for it. Yeah. It, I, I'm, I'm probably going back to Kansas more than likely. Uh, it's going to have to be a flying trip because youth season opens, uh, youth gun opens this next weekend in Arkansas. And I've already told my son that he's getting out of school at noon and we're going to head down that way. He actually has a really good buck on camera down there. And, um, so there's, uh, I got to be there to take him on that. And then the next weekend is the regular opener of Arkansas gun, which I got to be back for it just for, you know, to be around all the family and do a deer fry and all that kind of stuff. And then the next weekend after that, you know, duck season starts. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to slide back up to Kansas, but you know, got to work in a little bit too. So. Yeah, I understand. You got to pay the bills. And, and yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'm going to make uncle Chris a bet or not a bet, a deal. If he gets into archery, I will get into duck hunting. And I'm not sure who's going to win the most in that space. I think we both <laughs> would. Because, Dennis, right, I, I, the, the land that I lease, um, you know, found out it had, you know, some great duck hunting on it. And so my oldest son uh, got into duck hunting with some buddies of his. And um, I was like, man, we can go out there and just try out the land before, I, you know, and come to find out. And there's tons of ducks out there. And so this past year, for the first time in my life, I really, man, I was just bitten by the duck hunting bug, man. I love, love. In fact, the other day I was sitting out hunting and I was sitting in a blind near the water and I could just hear ducks, ducks. And I was like, man, I'd rather be down there hunting ducks than I would up here hunting deer. So uh, I love that. I have a tendency to agree with you that, you know, you know me, I'm turkey hunting's always been my favorite. And then when I started going out to Colorado four years ago, I was like, my gosh, this is turkey hunting thousand pound animals with beautiful racks and meat that tastes amazing. And so quickly that became spot and stalking white or mule deer and elk and, you know, calling to them and doing all that is by far my favorite now um, outside of turkey hunting. And then duck hunting's probably behind that. And to be honest, I mean, I still love to bow hunt whitetails, but. You know, I'm sitting up in the tree freezing in Kansas the other day going, dang, why do I love this after all? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, remind me why I do this. Right. Yeah, especially if you don't get anything. Then it's an e- if you do, then it's a easy reminder why you're doing it. So No doubt about it. But when you're out walking around in the woods, it's easy to, to think about, you know, how great it is and all that kind of stuff. And you're not just sitting there stuck freezing in a tree the whole time. Oh yeah, I got you. I got you. Well, you know, I've I've learned a ton from you, Dennis. Here, once again, between you and Jared, and listening to some other podcasts, we're definitely Chris and I are building our library of information to uh, to embark on our first DIY hunt in the next couple of years. And so, we appreciate you getting on there, Chris. You got any other questions for Dennis, man? I I don't. I just want to say, Dennis. I you know, uh, you know, we're in season two, and so you've been uh, you were a guest in season one and season two, and and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, you giving up your time to come and 
and we hope we hope you'll be a regular every season. Man, I'd love to. I, I enjoy talking about hunting. It's about one of my favorite things. And so anytime y'all got yeah. questions, just give me a shout. And the good thing about going and doing a, a hunt out in Colorado is regardless of what happens, you're going to have fun. There's going to be crazy times. There's going to be things that go south. But overall, it's going to be a great trip. And if you go into it thinking, if I harvest something, that's a bonus. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy being out in God's creation and seeing a new country, then you're going to win. You got yeah, it, man. As Jared said, Jared said, what, Chris? It's a camping trip, a hiking trip, and a hunting trip all rolled up in the same trip. That's yep, right. I agree, and except I'm not going to go out there and just go hiking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not the plan. You're not going on a big hiking trip. Right. <laughs> yeah, and Dennis, you know, you've touched on something that, that Jeff and I, at interviewing all these different people from all these different backgrounds, um, we begin to hear – uh, patterns and uh you know jeff and i've talked we talk about this privately but um what we've learned is and and it, and it goes speaks to what you just said most people uh enjoy the experience more than they enjoy taking an animal and we've kind of heard that same uh sentiment the whole through with every person it's just being outside it's just you know now we all enjoy killing a uh harvest harvesting whatever we're going to harvest but it it seems to me that it is more about the experience than the taking of the animal yeah and that's what you, you you know I, i've tried to instill that in my son at an early age because if it's only about the harvest then it's not going to be much fun because outside of a you know duck hunting might be a little bit different um but when when you're talking about big game you're going to have more times when you go out there and don't harvest something than when you do. And so if you, if you look at it and, and you weigh success by what you harvest, it's going to be a gut wrenching sport and you're probably not going to enjoy it for very long. So I try to just enjoy being out in the woods. And, you know, it's funny. My little boy asked me a question the other day. He was like, dad, we don't go to church as much during hunting season. And I said, well, here's my philosophy <laughs> on that. I'd rather be sitting in the woods thinking about God than sitting in church thinking about being in the woods. Chris might say there might be, I might better be sitting in the woods thinking about God than preaching on a Sunday. Well, but, you know, I, who, I, I will tell y'all a funny story because of coronavirus and we've had to, um, we've had to redo our schedule here at church. And uh, one of the things that we've had to change is we don't have, a Sunday evening. We don't do anything now on Sunday evenings. Haven't since March. And, and, and of course, a lot of our things are online. They're virtual. And it's just kind of led me to believe that, um, people are getting used to this. So I can actually record every Bible study, every sermon online and, uh, have my Sundays free from now on. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) second Baptist virtual church. Yeah. Church on demand. That's right. COD. That's right, man. But That's I, good. but I do, but I do enjoy not having um, church on Sunday and I, I Sunday night because I do, uh, and and I know we joke about that, but uh, Dennis, I agree with you, man. You know, thank the Lord that God is not just in church, uh, and I probably do more um, praying and meditating and and speaking to the Lord, sitting in a deer stand or being out in nature. Um, so I agree with that, man. Hey, Dennis, you know, a question I got for you, cause I, I self-admittedly, 
the biggest fraidy cat when it comes to hunting sometimes, right? I mean, the biggest, biggest fears I got, I can't stand spiders. I'm going to go out there. It's five in the morning, walk to my deer stand and die with a 10 foot spider bite or something. So, but I know out, out West, man, that's a whole nother group of predators. It, it, you guys ever come across any predators out there in Southwest Colorado? Yes. As a matter of fact, the first year I was out there, I had a, a pretty unnerving experience with a large bear. And each year I've been out there, I've seen at least one mountain lion. And it's funny, I have a friend that, that lives out there who lion hunts and he always is, he's like, man, you're lucky. You know, not many people get to see them, but people don't realize how many there are out there. And I was talking to him and, and he usually trees, you know, 20, 30 lines per season because he only gets one tagged for a harvest. So he enjoys listening to the dogs and everything. And, and we were sitting talking about it and he said, did you realize that a mountain lion harvests one mule deer or elk per day? when bears are not hibernating. And I, I mean, that number just blew me away. You think about how many animals that is taking them down. And he said, when the, when the bears go to sleep, that backs off to about once every three to five days because bears will take the, the carcass from the mountain lions when they're up and moving around. So the day after I shot my bull, me and my buddy were walking in and I said, man, we're getting kind of close to where that carcass was. And he was like, yeah, you know, and I said, there might be a bear on there. We might need to make a bigger swath around it. And we, we were kind of sitting looking and we got a little closer than what we meant to. And we got up to the, to a point where we could see in the opening where it was. And I, I looked through my binos and I was like, there's a mountain lion. And he was like, oh, come on now. And I was like, I'm serious. And he put his up and it was sagebrush. So we couldn't really see. And the next thing you know, you see him like kind of flashing towards where we're going. We're like, is he Oh charming? my gosh. And the only thing we can think, he kind of just veered off and got out of there. But uh, my buddy that's, that hunts lions, he said he probably thought y'all were a bear. It was right at daylight and was trying to run you off the carcass. And I'm like, you know what? That's not, you know, that's not a fun thing. But people don't realize how big those mountain lions get out there. The ones I've seen in the past were fairly small, um, not big giant ones. But there's, there's some pretty big ones out there, especially southwest Colorado. Dang, man. That's crazy. So, so can I mean, you that, take... I mean, can you take a, a weapon for that, for those cases? We don't, um, you know, there's some people that, that carry a pistol. I'm not sure exactly what the rules are on that. Uh, my wife got frustrated with me. I had, I had an encounter with one and then that bear too, uh, that was unnerving in prior years. And she said, what if something ends up happening to you? And I said, man can you imagine what kind of story my kids would have if i get killed by a mountain lion in colorado elk hunting? i was like I mean, i'll roll my dog all that you should have seen the mountain lion world yeah i mean if that's if that's what takes me out of this world what a way to go well i, I did beg to differ i don't want to do that at all <laughs> i have no desire to do that but but that's a good question good question chris because i know like some guys will take a 10 millimeter for bear and all this stuff. Is it legal to sidearm carry out there for protection when you're hunting? We, we do not carry. And so I've heard, uh, I probably ought to look that up, but I I, have, I do not carry. Number one, by the end of your hunt, I, I mean, I'm, I'm down to my water bladder and what little bit of things that I have to have in my pack. You know what I mean? So it's, right. you start Six out more day pounds one. Ain't something you want. Right. right. You start out day one with all kinds of stuff in your pack. And by the end of the trip, you're just like, get out of my pack. I'm tired of carrying you, you know? <laughs> so when, I, I never have carried one. And it's while they will unnerve you, very few people really get hurt by them. So it's kind of like worrying about sharks when you're swimming in the ocean. It's it, it's cool and it adds another level of excitement um, hunting in that area. But I'm not really scared of it. 
Yeah. Did they ever tell you I don't swim in the ocean because I'm afraid of sharks? <laughs> yeah, so. well, it might be a different story then. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a little sidearm on me for protection, you know? So, right. uh, well, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy, Chris. I, yeah, you know, that's something we don't talk about a lot as predators that we just don't have that. The biggest predator we got around where we are is just, they're a bear where we are, but they're not really, they're not coming after us. And the coyotes are going after the deer and we do have some bobcat, bobcats, but they're not really interested in us, I don't think. So, you know, other than big spiders, I don't think we have any predators here. Dennis, man, we appreciate your time today and appreciate you sharing your, your tips and tricks. And uh, uh, well, Chris and I know we look forward to putting some in, in play. And and again, uh, your time and, and your talent and and everybody, we, I know our audience really appreciates you, you as well. And and thanks for being on the show today, Dennis. And uh, we look forward to maybe the, the only other season or one of the seasons we hadn't talked to you about is ducks, duck hunting, man. So when we do our next duck hunting show, we'll have to get you or our first ever duck hunting show. We'll have to get you come on and talk about that. Sounds like a plan to me. Yes, sir. And you know what? I know you're a sick of gear guy, right? Oh, yeah. And I know about just about every episode I talk about sick of gear, but man, I'm really excited. One of our next episodes is with John Barklow from Sicka, man. Oh, very nice. The, yeah. the big game big manager game. for yeah. him. So, yeah, so he's going to be on with us and uh, looking forward to talking to him. And I'm going to tell him that you said hello. How about that? There you go. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Everybody, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Yeah, man. I mean, think about it. A buck hunter, duck hunter, elk hunter. I mean, the guy's got a lot of experience, especially when we're going to get him on to talk about ducks sometime soon as well. It's about duck right. season up here. But Chris, you know, I tell you what, I've, we had Jared before him. We had talking about his DIY hunt and then Dennis talking about his. And, and the only thing I've kind of not the only, I mean, the many things I'm trying to encapsulate it for our listeners and something they can translate maybe in their regular life, too, is that, you know, nothing trumps experience. I mean, you just got to get experience in that stuff. You got to learn and mess up and figure it out and take some swings, man, you know? Yeah, and that's, you know, from Jared and Dennis both, I'm convinced that, um, you know, we need to go with somebody first. Even if we don't kill an elk, uh, we just need to go gain that experience. And and now I do like Dennis's idea of uh, kind of staying in a cabin and, <laughs> you know, having a good place to <laughs> glamping a little bit out there. Yeah, having a place to, to come back and shower and rest up. But, um, but man, just knowing, I, you know, if those guys have taught me anything is that I have no idea. Uh, and I think I said that with Jared is that, you know, just the idea of what to do, the the theory of what to do and the reality of what to do in my mind was way far off. And, um, so, um, but man, I tell you for, for those of you that are listening that are thinking about that, uh, man, I, I think this is, I think Dennis just gave some great advice and, um, Absolutely. Yeah. And for those of you listening, never done it and have some experience hunting um, and want to do it, hit us up. Let's uh, let's uh, try to put some plans together and head out there together and and, and all all learn. And maybe we could, you know, uh, coerce Jared or Dennis to to give us some more experience or maybe tag along with us and, and teach us some, a bunch of things we can learn along the way. So I know we're going to do it one day, Chris, and and, you know, it'll it'll happen sometime down the road and i'm looking forward to that experience with you as my brother-in-law and uh and like i said if we don't we don't kill anything fine but but as jared said and dennis reiterated you know it's a hiking trip camping trip and hunting trip all in the same and i love hiking and i love camping so we're winning either way out there you know yep absolutely absolutely so 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 you know before we get to the the last segment i just want to give a little plug for our next episode we got coming up we got john barclow from 
Sitka Gear, the big game manager. He's coming on next week with us, Uncle Chris. And man, I cannot wait for that. You know, I got a big man crush on Sitka Gear. Yeah, and I'm I'm just excited, man, to to hear from um from John about the the kind of the behind the scenes of what a, a company like that does and and um I'm, I'm just totally ready. I'm excited about hearing about that. Absolutely. Absolutely are. But you know what I'm excited about, Chris? I'm excited about hearing what the Lord put on your heart tonight for our listeners, man. Yeah, and so Tonight is a little uh, shorter than normal, but that's okay. Just, man, I just really, the Lord's just really been kind of impressing on me with um, everything that's going on in our in our nation, um, from the political landscape to the coronavirus and, and uh, how that's affecting every one of us, uh, whether, whether we've had the virus or um, whether it's just affecting us psychologically and um, and then as, as I'm kind of thinking through those things and dealing with those things on a daily basis with my job, um, you know, coming to doing these podcasts or, or Jeff just going hanging out with you, uh, man, I love that um, with what the Bible says in Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And, you know, with everything going on and, and with with uh, whether it's, you know, not just uh, coronavirus or the, the political, the cultural climate, but man, just our jobs, our family, our just living life uh, sometimes gets really hectic and um, we get stressed out and we just are, aren't. <clears throat> feel like we don't have time. Uh, you know, I always need something to bring me back, to center me, to focus on. And, you know, really the only thing that, that does that is the word of God. And, and when I read phrases like how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in peace, I think about, you know, my relationship with you and then my relationship with other friends and family and, and just, uh, how in the hunting community, we're a brotherhood. And I love that these podcasts, you know, man, we, we center around our passion and, and, and there's no stress in that. And it's just something that, that, um, that we all enjoy. And regardless of if hunting is your passion or, or fishing or outdoors, um, the cool thing to me is that in Christ, he is what draws all all of us together, and in Him, man, there's peace. That's what it says. For there, for there, the Lord bestows His blessing, and I think the greatest blessing we can have um, is not just money or or fame or or materialistic stuff. I think the greatest blessing we have, man, is if we can live together in unity. And um, so, hopefully, that those. Hopefully you guys are listening and, and, um, you know, my prayer always is that each one of our listeners knows Christ personally. Um, but if you don't, I, I, I would encourage you to seek that out and, and even let, and to let you know that even in this cultural climate that we're living in right now, there is hope and that hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I, I, right. I encourage, 
I encourage you to, to, to seek that out, seek out somebody to, to let you know. Or if you have a Bible, just get your Bible and just begin to read it. And um, so appreciate, appreciate you letting me share that, Uncle Jeff. You bet. Good job, Uncle Chris. Appreciate that, especially for this the time that our time for our nation needs those type of words right now. So good stuff. And so, so hey, to wrap it up, man, we had a good time with Dennis tonight. We've got John coming on next week, and um, and we're also Uncle Chris. I'm gonna, we're going to try to get a new segment in here sometime soon. I've reached out to a couple, or we've reached out to a couple people on social media that have had some great kills. We want to hear their stories, and so we want to hear your story. If you've got a funny story, a funny hunting story any kind of an outdoor related story, you can click on our podcast and there's a button on there or go to bluecollarcommandos.com and there's a button that says, leave us a message. You can leave us a message on there and we'll put, we'll feature your, your recording on our podcast. We'll cut it in here and you'll hear it. And, and uh, we'd love to share it with our audience. So um, stay tuned for, for some quick hit 30, 60 second stories from some of our listening audience around their hunting experiences. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And so um, with that, just a quick reminder, y'all, I'm Uncle Jeff. He's Uncle Chris. You're the Blue Collar Commandos, and we want to remind you to rule the outdoors one step at a time. See ya! All right, let's do the whole thing again.